What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Greg here. What you're about to hear is an episode I recorded with J.J. Zacharyson back on February 27th. This was before the Combine. We're talking about players within that context. And due to some logistical issues, we had to keep the episode in a can for a while. But that's okay. You're listening to this now. And then what I recommend you do is you go over and you listen to episode 109 of J.J.'s show, the Late Round Podcast, which he just published, about these players from the rookie class post-Combine. Don't miss that. It's a good follow-up to our conversation here. You get to see his whole process of evaluating these rookies. Also, before we get to the show, I want to introduce our new sponsor, the Fan Controlled Football League. Welcome to the next generation of fantasy football, where fans manage real teams and are rewarded for their successes through the league's proprietary fan token. In the FCFL, fans scout players, draft rosters, hire coaches, call plays, and even help design their team logo. The FCFL will feature eight professional teams playing seven-on-seven, fast-paced indoor football. To learn more about the fan token and the FCFL, visit fcfl.io, power to the fans. Let's get to the show with JJ. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 69 of the 2QB Experience. My name is Greg Smith. I'm your host. You can find all my work at 2QBs.com, and you can hit me up on Twitter, at Greg Sauce. On the line with me for this very nice episode is JJ Zacharyson, at Late Round QB on Twitter, of Number Fire Living the Stream and the Late Round Podcast. JJ, what's up, man? It's good to have you back on. I appreciate you having me on the nicest episode of this podcast. It's only going to happen once. I figured, what, what better time? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Well, it's it's great to have you, like I said. And I don't know, it can feel a little weird to think about fantasy football around this time of year. I mean, you and I are super into this stuff, so it's not that weird for us. But a lot of other people are thinking about baseball and basketball and the Olympics and things like that, or the Oscars, who, who knows. But, yeah. you know, with free agency and the draft looming, there are just you know so many questions without answers. On today's show, we're going to do our best to predict how some of these dominoes will fall at the quarterback position and in the draft. Hopefully we'll gain some perspective on, you know, ranges of outcomes because, you know, when we're thinking about players this far in advance, we have to consider many different possibilities, right? But um, before we get there, I just want to kind of check in, man. How's the offseason been treating you? Have you had a chance to tackle any, you know, non-fantasy projects from your, you know, in real life to-do list? Yeah, it's been good, man. Obviously had that trip out to L.A. Uh, for FSTA, but that was still fantasy related. Uh, doing some doing some renovating around the house, doing fixing up our laundry room, living that homeowner life. But otherwise, still very, very focused on football, able to watch a little bit more hockey, which I always appreciate and love. Uh, but it's been a good offseason so far. Yeah, man, I haven't been following the NHL at all. How are your pens doing? They turn things around around the new year. They're looking good. I'm excited. Hopefully they can uh, get a little three-peat this year. Good deal, man. Well, good luck with that. Um, I, I kind of have a soft spot, soft spot for the Pittsburgh teams. I grew up in the Bay Area, so I'm definitely like Giants and Niners through and through. But when I first got into hockey, there was there was no San Jose Sharks team. So it was like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I have... Um, I had some affinity for those Lemieux, Yager, Pens teams and, yeah. uh, you know, the Barry Bonds, Leland era pirates and stuff. So that, that stuff, I, I, I can vibe with that. I, I get into that well, too. For, for, for what it's worth, I'm, I'm going to be a San Francisco Giants fan this year with, with them getting McCutcheon over the offseason. Oh man, I'm so, so excited about that. It's, it reminds me yeah. a lot of Bonds in that situation. You know, hopefully McCutcheon's yeah. head doesn't grow four sizes in the yeah. next few yeah. years. We'll see how that goes. 
Yeah. But um, yeah, we were talking about to-do lists, you know, in real life or IRL. And fantasy owners have their own to-do list, you know, as they're prepping for 2018. And at the quarterback position, the first thing on, you know, my agenda is to figure out where the hell Kirk Cousins is heading. His fate is going to have repercussions for multiple teams in the NFL, but we have no real way of knowing where he's going to play for sure. So in the abstract, what is Cousins ceiling as a fantasy passer? Like if he landed in the perfect situation and all other quarterbacks, you know, in your rankings maintain their current values, how high would you feel comfortable ranking Cousins among all the quarterbacks at the position? I mean, look, I mean, we've already seen him as a top six passer in each of his last two years. He was a top eight one uh, three seasons ago. I mean, granted, last season there were a lot of quarterback injuries. The competition wasn't that stiff. But even still, he was a top six passer in terms of cumulative numbers. Uh, but I do think that his ceiling is certainly top five. Uh, he's yet to have that outlier type season from a touchdown rate standpoint. And that's really what we're asking here from Cousins to truly hit his ceiling. Uh, he's always had a slightly above average touchdown rate. Um, and, and usually you see you know, a quarterback around that four and a half percent mark. Cousins has been around the five five percent mark from a touchdown rate standpoint. And usually when we see a an outlier season or that MVP like season from quarterbacks out of nowhere, whether we're talking Matt Ryan two years ago, Cam Newton three years ago, uh, they, those guys see crazy crazy touchdown rates, and that's why they put up the numbers that they do. So we've seen him throw 25, 29 touchdowns. Uh, all we need is 33 or 34. Now I say all we need, but that's, that's really just a, a bump to some of that, one, one of those outlier type seasons from a touchdown rate standpoint. That's, that's, that's really all we need is, is just a, a slightly out of the ordinary season, uh, where he's throwing the, throwing more touchdowns than he probably should. So I think because of that, I mean, he should have a top five ceiling given what he's already done. Yeah, when I look at what he's done over the past few years as the, you know, the full-time starter, I have two primary concerns with Cousins. And the first is volume concerns. If you kind of look at the past three seasons, he ranks sixth in total pass attempts since becoming Washington's full-time starter. And the other quarterbacks in that range on the list aren't necessarily the greatest. He's sandwiched between uh, Blake Bortles and Matthew Stafford ahead of him in, in attempts, and below him are Matt Ryan and Derek Carr. And that list just kind of reeks of compilers to me. Like these guys we know aren't the best quarterbacks in the league. They just throw a lot. And I think it is worth noting that Cousins has been more efficient than all of those guys, except for Matt Ryan in terms of like yards per attempt and adjusted yards per attempt. So there's something to be said in his favor there. But that's one concern I have. The other is a potential change in offensive line. Uh, Cousins has benefited from one of the best offenses, offensive lines in football while he's been with the Redskins. Uh, the unit was ravaged by injuries in 2017, but right. uh, two years ago they ranked third in football outsiders adjusted sack rate, 10th uh, two years ago in 2015. And unsurprisingly, if you look at Cousins' performance, it kind of appears to correlate to that offensive line play. So in 2015, with that 10th ranked line, uh, he had an adjusted net yards per attempt of 7.14. Uh, in 2016, when the offensive line got better, ranked third, uh, his any or his adjusted net yards per attempt went up to 7.45. And then last season, when the offensive line tanked, so did his adjusted net yards per attempt, 6.38. So I mean, Cousins could land with a team that has a comparable O line. Um, maybe that team will let him throw just as much as Washington did. But neither of those are foregone conclusions to me. And I think that fantasy owners kind of need to adjust their expectations accordingly when they're trying to evaluate Cousins for a different situation. So I'm going to put this to you. How much do you think Cousins was aided by his supporting cast and his offensive scheme there in Washington? And 
how much does that matter to you when you're trying to evaluate him in other potential landing spots? Yeah, I mean, I think that you bring up great points about especially the offensive line. Uh, the offensive line was crushed this season from an injury perspective, and, and obviously we saw uh, Cousins' efficiency drop. But even still, from an adjusted net yards per attempt standpoint, Cousins was 13th in the league this season. Uh, granted, again, just to reiterate, it was a bad season for quarterbacks, so maybe that would have ranked 17th or something uh, in 2015 and 2016. The, the one piece that I think is really important with Kirk Cousins this past season was the loss of Deshaun Jackson, um, and that's that whether Deshaun Jackson is posting numbers or not, he's been such a force for offenses. You can see the effect of, of Deshaun Jackson with and without offenses throughout his career. You know, when he went to Washington, you saw a dip in Philadelphia. When he went to obviously to Tampa Bay, you saw this dip in Washington and you saw it with Kirk Cousins and in his air yard profile. Uh, two years ago, he averaged, uh, 4.85, uh, air yards per completed pass. The year before, the year after that, it was 4.16, and then this past year, that dropped to 3.63. Um, but at the same time, which this is a good thing, uh, his his uh, yards after the catch per catch uh, ended up rising this past year because obviously, whenever you're not throwing the ball as far down the field, the hope is that you're getting a lot of those yards and you're accumulating those yards uh, after the catch. I think a lot of that had to do with both the offensive line issues that we noted, as well as them not having a true down-the-field pass catcher. I mean, if you really want to put it all into perspective with what Kirk Cousins was working with this past season, he the entire offense was essentially running through a slot receiver for part of the season and a running back for part of the season, right, with Chris Thompson mm -hmm. uh, from, from a pass-catching standpoint. I mean, I think that you could make a legitimate argument that he had some of the worst weapons in the NFL this past year with, with Terrell Pryor busting, you know, Josh Doxson didn't really get things going. I mean, Josh Doxson was incredibly inefficient as well. Um, how much you put that on cousins, I don't know, but I do know that if you throw him onto a team with a great supporting cast, let's say that he goes to a place like Minnesota, uh, you know, given that we've seen Kirk cousins thrive in pretty decent situations and you probably, you, you would almost definitely have a better situation than what he's ever seen given Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen are two of the best pass catcher pass catching tandems in the NFL. I think all of a sudden you, you have a situation where you are going to see the best out of Kirk cousins. Um, and, and you could see that top five ceiling be hit. Can I infer that maybe if, if you were to pick a dream destination for him, that would be like a Minnesota because of the receivers there or, or would it be some other team to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you would definitely have some volume concerns if he went to Minnesota. Uh, you know, that you're not going to necessarily have these shootouts. But I think that Minnesota could become a, a team that scores 45 to 50 touchdowns in the season, and that could create the potential for Kirk Cousins to throw 30 touchdowns. Um, and that's really what's going to win both from, from a real standpoint statistically and what people will care about, but also, of course, in fantasy football, you need those touchdowns because that correlates so strongly to, to success. So then the big question, I guess, looming is where do you think he actually will end up? Uh, man, I really want it to be to be Minnesota. I still in the back of my head still think it's going to be the Jets. Um, I, I think that they they obviously, you know, they can they can front fill that that contract. Um, they can just give him all his money up front and then kind of build the team around him uh, as they move forward over the next few years. Um, I hope it's Minnesota. It sounds like rumors, at least today, there were a lot of strong rumors that Minnesota was the front runner. Uh, Denver's obviously there as well. I think Denver would be really interesting given their weapons as well. But, but of all the places to go, I do think that Minnesota is not just the perfect fit, but the one where he will just thrive. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, 
we're trying to compare, you know, one particular NFL situation to another, and that's not necessarily easy. We've we've talked about offensive line and you know other concerns when you're moving from one location to the next. We see that at other positions too, like when a, a free agent wide receiver signs in a new place, they typically have an adjustment period. It's got to be infinitely more difficult for rookies coming into the NFL from college. So if we're comparing college situations to prospective NFL landing spots. Uh, I know you have a, a model for, for rookies that are coming into the league. Who from your running back or wide receiver model kind of stands out to you as the safest bet to succeed in fantasy, kind of regardless of where they end up? Yeah, I think that from a, from at least a, a wide receiver perspective, safety would come in the form of uh, this guy has a very clear role. Uh, we know that this guy's traits translate well to the NFL regardless of the team that he's going to be on. And I think the one player who not only has that but also has an insane production profile is DJ Moore from Maryland. Um, he had an absurd he – had, he had just absolutely insane market share – numbers across the board, whether you're looking at yarded share, reception share, touchdown share. Um, and, and he broke at, out at an early age as well. Um, but he might be a little bit limited due to his size. And that's why he's not, you know, the, the num- ranked number one among all draft boards uh, at, at the position. But when you watch him, you definitely get more of a, a Golden Tate, Jarvis Landry type vibe. Uh, he, he more so Golden Tate because he's kind of like a bulkier slot guy who can get really physical in the middle of the field. Um, and, and I think that that just works really well in the NFL. That's what teams always need. They always need that physical slot guy, even though slot receivers are pretty uh, replaceable uh, in today's NFL. Uh, but I think DJ Moore just has a skill set that, that's pretty translatable no matter where he goes. Uh, but obviously you would want a guy like that who primarily can play the slot to go to an offense that's going to throw the ball out because that could bring a lot of fantasy goodness. Yeah, we, we kind of saw some precedent for that type of player last year with Cooper Cup in Los Angeles, yeah. right? A guy who maybe wasn't the, the greatest prospect overall, but based upon what he was good at and the situation he found himself in, uh, a team that was you know needy for that slot receiver type, he found a lot of success in his rookie year. And it'll be interesting to see if DJ Moore can kind of replicate that. And it's definitely going to depend on, on where it goes or where he goes, excuse me. Where would you like to see him end up the most? Oh man, there's there's a lot of spot. You know, I, I think that you just have to look at at places that would need a slot. But I, I also, I mean, to be honest, I think that that Moore can move to the outside as well. Um, I think immediately you would want him to be in a situation. I mean, ideally you want a wide receiver to be in a situation with a good quarterback. Um, but you also want a, a wide out to go to a, a a spot where he immediately sees volume. And I think there's a lot of opportunity if. Chicago ends up signing a mm-hmm. wideout uh, via free agency. I mean, it would be amazing if they were if, if, if Jacksonville didn't tag Allen Robinson or something. Uh, but DJ Moore being a compliment in an offense like that, where there's a lot of upside there. We don't exactly know what Mitch Trubisky is, um, and they have the new coaching staff. That's a spot where I think it just makes a lot of sense. Uh, will will he bring forth a ton of fantasy points? I'm not sure. But I think that spot in general just makes a lot of sense for DJ Moore. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't take like the easy route to that answer with and just say New Orleans or something because yeah, right. There's right. some some context you have to throw in there, right? It's like New Orleans just drafted Michael Thomas a couple years ago. Like they may not necessarily be ready to spend that sort of draft capital on another wide receiver right away, and their offense was already good in the first place. A, a team like the Bears makes a lot more sense as a legit landing spot. So I like that you you called that out. How about at the running back position? Has anybody stood out to you? 
Yeah, I mean, it's Saquon Barkley. I mean, the, the guy, the guy. Is Surprise. Absolutely... Yeah, yeah. I mean, his receiving numbers are are out of control as well as I mean, his rushing numbers are great. Don't get me wrong, but his receiving numbers are what really pop. I mean, he's putting up uh, NFL like receiving numbers uh, at the college level, which is just unheard of. Um, but there's there's two reasons why that's so important. Um, when looking at these these college running backs, receiving is number one. Obviously, receiving is just very important when you translate to the NFL because the NFL is throwing the ball so much and they're utilizing their backfields out of the backfield as receiving threats more and more. But number two, there's a strong correlation between running backs who were good receivers in college and good running backs in the NFL, regardless if they catch passes in the NFL. And now. I think the main reason for this, uh, and this is partially research-based and partially just general intuition, uh, but I think the huge reason for it is in a college offense, you don't have a bunch of professional NFL players. Uh, you do in the NFL because you're in the NFL. But in, the, in college, you are trying to get the ball to your playmakers. This is why there's a strong correlation between uh, punt returners and, and special teamers uh, in, in college and how they translate to the NFL. It's because they're the best players on their team. They're the playmakers on their team, and their coaches know that. Um, and the same, the same goes for uh, receiving running backs out of the backfield, is that you're giving that, that ball to that playmaker um, on, on high percentage throws, and you're getting that ball to the playmaker to make plays. And that's exactly why we see this nice correlation from, from, uh, from college to the pros. And Saquon Barkley, his, his profile is out of control and he is going to slay the combine this week. Who's going to burst the bubble on him? How high is he going to go? What do you think? I mean, I think he's going to end up being a top five pick. Um, and I'm very, very anti running back from a from a real football standpoint, uh, for sure. Um, but I do think that there are stronger arguments to be made when the running back is a, such a good pass catcher as Saquon is. Um, I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if, if Cleveland gets him. I think that's the easiest kind of go to spot for him to land at pick number four yep qb at one and then saquon at four that that does make a lot of sense especially you know kind of considering that it seems like they they really want to win and be competitive now and and not necessarily build for the future like (laughs) they they were you know setting themselves up to do for so long it's it's fascinating how that stuff happens like uh the cowboys with ezekiel elliott kind of did the same thing they said oh well we want somebody who can come in and change our offense right away and you know zeke did that but they could have had Jalen Ramsey too, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we, we've talked about kind of the uh, the good end of the spectrum here with with incoming rookies, but what about the other? You know, college production is you know what 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 the player has done in college is one outcome in that player's college range of outcomes, but that's all we really have to go on to to forecast like a speculative range of outcomes for the NFL. Do you think that anybody in college may have overperformed? Uh, and you know, inflated their draft stock because of it, kind of like Matt Ryan or Jordan Howard did at the NFL level in 2016. We saw both those guys regress last year in the pros. Is there any rookie that you see in, in, in the production, while the numbers are there or, or whatever, it just doesn't kind of feel right to you, doesn't make sense, and, and you think maybe uh, they overperformed uh, in college? Yeah, so I think this is this is why looking at market share uh, within college production is so important. So a lot of people, when when analyzing and evaluating college prospects, will just look at college stats and they'll say, well, these college stats don't make any sense because there's no context around them. Therefore, we shouldn't be using college stats when evaluating these prospects. But you can put context around things when you look at market share. So market share being the percentage of receptions in an offense or the percentage of rushing yards in an offense, because you're putting that context of that team surrounding those numbers. So 
Um, you know, obviously sometimes, and another reason for this obviously is because that context is one dude might be playing in this very pass first offense, yep. whereas another guy won't. And there's a larger discrepancy between those two types of offense at the college level than there is at the NFL level. You know, generally at the NFL level, you're going to see maybe 200 attempt difference between the, the top team and one of the bottom teams in terms of pass attempts. College, it's just completely different. It can just, it, it, there's more teams, so there's a wider range of outcomes. Um, but the one guy who, you know, to, to that point, who looks really good from a raw numbers perspective, but then you put that context around it and you look at the market share numbers is Cortland Sutton. So Cortland Sutton is uh, a, a large man. He's a very large <laughs> receiver uh, and he's profiling to be probably the, the best X receiver uh, in this class, I would say, uh, the way that, that most folks are viewing him. I know a lot of people are talking about Calvin Ridley, but there are some question marks around whether he can be a true X receiver. Cortland Sutton has the size. He has the speed. Uh, he's that that physical specimen that you would want playing that X position. Um, but he had strong numbers over the last two years. He played for SMU. He had 2,200 yards receiving and 22 touchdowns. But SMU was a very pass-friendly team. Uh, so his market share numbers just don't look as strong. So, like I said, I think Sutton's a freak. I think he's going to do well at the Combine, He or he should do well at the Combine. And if he does do well at the Combine, I expect his draft stock to rise even more than where it's at right now. But I'm a little bit hesitant because I think that a lot of, of his his uh, his production uh, was based off of uh, of the offense that he was kind of in. Now, a player like that, even though you might be down on them, they could still end up in the right situation for you to be excited about them moving forward, right? Absolutely. Uh, you know, with college production, it's not just you know me looking at production and saying no, or yeah, you know, since this black and white way of looking at things, it's more so saying here are some concerns that I have about this player. A perfect example is is Alvin Kamara. Last season, Alvin Kamara coming out averaged fewer than 10 rushing attempts per game at Tennessee during his final college season. He had a rushing attempt share under 20%, which was unheard of for a successful NFL running back. I mean, you just don't see that from successful NFL backs. But he did have things going for him. He was a a freak of nature uh, from a combine perspective. He went nuts. And then also on top of that, he was a great receiver. And you combine those things and and you look at the landing spot then and he goes to New Orleans and you're like, well, I can't hate on Alvin Kamara in New Orleans because we know how New Orleans utilizes this exact kind of running back. I mean, this is this is Darren Sproles on steroids. So you have to always put that context around things. You have to always look at the landing spots. Uh, Landing spot to me, I think, is is from from a dynasty perspective and from a fantasy football perspective, if you are playing dynasty uh, landing spot to me is is just as important as anything else. I, I have a very short term view in dynasty. Um, I, I think that that a lot of people kind of lose sight of that because they get really excited about a particular prospect, especially early on if they followed them throughout their college career. But then if they if they land in the wrong spot, it just doesn't matter. Yeah, and in redraft, landing spot is everything, right? Because exactly. all you care yeah. about is this year. Show me where this guy's going to have the most success, and that's that's those are the players I want. Exactly. Yeah. Um, is there anybody from the rookie class you think is being overlooked as an NFL prospect or maybe just somebody from a little deeper down uh, who, who you want to tout? Yeah, so you know, the wide receiver class I'm not super in love with. Uh, there's just a lot of slot receivers. It's really what it, it's kind of like last season. I mean, there, there weren't like these premier wide receivers. There, and there's not even necessarily a guy that I like as much as I liked Corey Davis last year. Um, but at running back, there's two guys. One guy is John Kelly. Uh, he actually played in Alvin Kamara's backfield last season. He had a better yards per carry average than Alvin Kamara did at Tennessee last year. Um, but 
his final season reception share. So again, I, I like looking at pass catching running backs because obviously it's a, it's an easy way to get on the field as a satellite back in the NFL. Then all of a sudden, if you show something, then you can start to kind of get some early down work um, in an offense. But John Kelly had a final season reception share. Uh, that's the best in the class, better than, than Saquon Barkley. So this is percentage of teams catches. Um, and it was only 0.1% off of what Christian McCaffrey had during his final season at Stanford. Uh, John Kelly has a really unbelievable production profile. And when I watch him, he, rem- I, I, I don't, I don't throw comps around lightly. Uh, I hate when people are like, Oh, he's the next Antonio Brown. Cause no one is Antonio Brown. Right. Um, but when I watch John Kelly, I see some, some Kareem Hunt to his game. Uh, he's, he's built like Kareem Hunt. He runs like Kareem Hunt. Uh, so I'm really excited about John Kelly. And then another guy that I really like is Mark Walton. He's not getting as much uh, love as John Kelly is. John Kelly, to some, is a top 10 running back, uh, maybe a third or fourth rounder in the, in the draft. But Mark Walton only played uh, a handful of games this past season because I believe it was an ankle injury. Uh, but he, as a sophomore at Miami, had a really complete production profile um, really across the board. And again, it was it was he was a sophomore. I mean, it was a, a, a nice breakout age for him. Uh, I'm hoping that he can do well at the combine, but he's another one that I'm, I'm excited about. And he's more of a low key guy that not a lot of people are talking about. Good deal. Well, let's get back to the QB position. And we talked about Kirk Cousins being one of the, the major dominoes that still needs to fall. One of the less major ones to me is AJ McCarron. And this is not you know unique to me, but I think a lot of folks have been comparing his situation right now to what we dealt with uh, with Mike Glennon in 2017. We saw the downside that Glennon could have, you know, for a team who wants to sign um, McCarron now. But what's McCarron's best case scenario? Give me, give me the good version of McCarron. <laughs> Is there any team where you think he could thrive, you know, and fit in and, and p- provide that two quarterback upside that we're looking for from like, you know, the, the lower tier of the position? I mean, I think with someone like AJ McCarron, you need weapons. That's that's for sure. I mean, it's really hard for me to get excited about a quarterback who went from being a fifth round pick, so teams thought that he was clearly not very good, yep. to then him him throwing 119 passes almost three years ago, to him now getting love around the league. I really just don't understand it. But for what it's worth, during that 2015 season, uh, when he had three starts, our expected points model at at number fire did peg him. During you know with those dropbacks as a slightly above average passer, so that's at least a plus. But I think that he needs to go somewhere where he's not necessarily looked at as this franchise passer, where he is kind of a bridge quarterback. But maybe there is some upside there because we don't really know what AJ McCarron's all about. And I look at teams that have some pass catchers that he can throw to, whether it's Denver. You know, I threw Denver out mm-hmm. earlier with Kirk Cousins. You have Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders there. And I don't think Cleveland is a terrible spot for him either uh, because I think Cleveland is for sure going to get a quarterback in this year's draft, uh, which means that, that that guy will be the future. I think Denver probably will too. Uh, but if that guy's their future, then A.J. McCarron uh, all of a sudden is kind of that bridge quarterback. You had rumors of him going there last season. Obviously, there's the connection with Hugh Jackson. Um, and then there are good weapons there in Cleveland. I, I know that people uh, like to poop on Cleveland all the time, but uh, there are good pass-catching weapons in Cleveland. Uh, so I think that he could be at least somewhat serviceable. But I'm not expecting some sort of Case Keenum-like season from A.J. McCarron. I just don't think that he's that kind of player. Yeah, I'm, I'm a McCarron skeptic as well. If you look back at that 2015 season, including the playoffs, he only started four games in his career, um, all of them that year after Andy Dalton got hurt. He never topped 212 yards in any of those starts. In fact, his, his best game was one where he came in 
relief uh, for Dalton when Dalton got hurt. I think it was against Pittsburgh, uh, mm-hmm. and he, he had a pretty good game. But that point you make about draft stock and the, the original draft capital invested in McCarron kind of tells the whole story to me. He was the ninth quarterback drafted in 2014 in the fifth round, 164th overall, behind you know such luminaries as Blake Bortles, Johnny Manziel, uh, Logan Thomas, Tom Savage, Aaron Murray. <laughs> like th- th- There were a lot of teams that passed on A.J. McCarron when they could have picked him, and now we're just supposed to believe he's going to be the answer for an NFL franchise in 2018 just because Hugh Jackson likes him. I'm yeah, I don't buy it. I don't see that happening at all. Yeah, yeah. The other thing too that's that's kind of interesting about that 2015 season in Cincinnati is that Andy Dalton, when he got hurt, he was a borderline like MVP candidate that year. En fuego. Which, which which tells you that maybe that offensive situation was just really good that year, which is what what made AJ McCarron look like a respectable enough passer that all of a sudden people want him so I, i'm with you though greg I, I think it's a very very risky uh proposition with with aj mccarron so how about the other quarterbacks that are kind of out there maybe free agents or maybe not are, are there any other players who you're just generally intrigued with this offseason guys that you're kind of curious to see maybe where they end up in adp or anything along those lines i mean one guy for, you know a non-quarterback related that i'm that i'm pretty excited about is paul richardson um oh, yeah he had an unbelievable college profile. Um, he was a guy that actually popped pretty well in my model when looking back um, at, at where he ranked. Uh, I think that he could thrive in the right spot for sure. Uh, I, I think that he would be really interesting uh, in San Francisco. Um, we saw Paul Richardson be able to stretch the field in Seattle. That's kind of the role that he played. And obviously, San Francisco's Marquis Goodwin, but I think Goodwin just has general obvious durability concerns. Uh, but I think Richardson is just a very interesting prospect, and I, I don't think that he was fully utilized when he was in Seattle. So he's someone that I'm definitely intrigued by. And then obviously, you know, Case Keenum and, and where he lands. Um, I don't think, I guess both Minnesota quarterbacks with Case Keenum and Teddy Bridgewater, because um, it doesn't, it doesn't sound like uh, Minnesota is incredibly high on Bridgewater, just given reports with Kirk Cousins. Um, it'll be interesting to see where they land as well. Uh, because I think that, that Bridgewater, you know, I've done studies in the past that look at, um, how quarterbacks perform early in their careers and how that actually correlates to how successful that quarterback is throughout the rest of his career. It's not, I mean, it's not rocket science, but a lot of people just want to keep giving these quarterbacks chances when these quarterbacks aren't performing and you just, you're in quarterback purgatory. Um, but with someone like, like Teddy Bridgewater, he was a very borderline guy when he was playing. And I just want to see how that all kind of unfolds and, and where he uh, where he lands because there's that there's that chance that that he is a franchise passer. You say both Minnesota quarterbacks and Sam Bradford's just sitting over here saying, "Hey, what yeah, the hell, man? Yeah. Come on, Sam, Sam Bradford." See, but Sam Bradford to me is 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 I mean, Sam Bradford to me. You can put him in like the, the the Case Keenum category. That's fine. But but with with Keenum, I'm just intrigued because we just saw him have the season that he had. With Sam Bradford, he is that QB purgatory quarterback. Like he's Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah, he yeah he's he's that that player where it's like, what are we really going to get from Sam Bradford? I mean, what more do we have to see of Sam Bradford and uh, his lack of durability for us to feel this so confident in signing him uh, as more than a simple bridge quarterback? Yeah, it's like Josh McCown or Ryan Fitzpatrick. Just he's not healthy ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which, which is kind of a problem if you just need somebody to hold the fort for a season. So. Yeah, not 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 ideal for for Sammy. I hope he ends up you know somewhere where he gets to at least you know be a backup and and maybe get a few snaps here and there. Because I I don't know. I, I feel like his career just kind of went sideways too early 
You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like that's it's about to happen to Ryan Tannehill as well, and and a lot of players this happens to where they get that one shot when they're maybe a little too young, or or maybe an injury derails them, and they just can kind of never recover from it. It's it's yep. part of the sport. I mean, it's it sucks when it happens, but I don't know. It's 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 hard to hard to you know resolve these feelings I have for these players because I'm a late round quarterback guy like you, JJ. I kind of I get off on on finding value from these guys that nobody wants, but. Yeah. I don't know. That's that's our our cross to bear, I guess. Um, that's all I got, man. We're going to keep it short here on this episode, if only because, like I said at the top of the show, we don't really know enough to to talk too in depth about what's going on in the NFL. But um, before I let you go, you got anything you want to plug uh, going on at Number Fire or otherwise? Yeah, just you know all my work over on numberfire.com and and each week I publish two podcasts, uh, the Late Round Podcast, it's called. So definitely check that out. All right, good deal. Well, thanks to you very much for coming on, JJ. Uh, listeners, you can follow him on Twitter at LateRoundQB. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at GregSauce. Uh, the site 2QBs.com is on Twitter as well, at 2QBs. And in both cases, you got to spell that out, T-W-O-Q-B-S. Email spelled the same way, 2QBs at gmail.com. Please rate and review the podcast. We will be back very soon with another show. Stay tuned and adios. Today's episode of the 2QB Experience was brought to you by the Fan-Controlled Football League. Do you love watching your fantasy players score a winning touchdown? Now imagine you got to call that touchdown play. The Fan-Controlled Football League is putting play calling in the hands of fans with real professional football players running the action. Visit fcfl.io to learn more.